We are starting our new series today, all right? We got the new graphic. Starting good. Drop my lid. The Lost Religion. Beautiful, right? So have you guys seen that fish symbol before? Surely you guys have seen shirts and, you know, bracelets and all that kind of stuff in the 90s. I'm not sure if it's cool anymore. I have no idea. Um, it is an ancient symbol for Christianity. We had a really cool one, okay, that, you know, we plan to put up there. But we were afraid you guys think it's like witchcraft or something. We're like, okay, let's not put a symbol up there, you know, that they don't know. But uh, if you guys haven't gathered yet, the whole context of the series is trying to unearth from the Scriptures what things about Christianity today don't look like the religion that was birthed in Jesus. What things have we lost from there to here, and how do we regain them? So what we'll be doing is there are some major themes in the Gospel just things that Jesus talks about over and over and over again. And what we'll do is we will take those things, we'll open them up, and we will try our best to wrestle them to the point to where they begin to take root in our lives. Now, with all this being said, understand this. These things that we're going to teach on are not things you haven't heard before. They're things we do not practice. Make sense? There's a difference between talking about something and applying something. And for us, I think we've all heard these things talked about. We've even talked about them ourselves. Few of us have come to a place where these are so real to us that they affect us. Um, One of the hardest things about the kingdom of God is that so much of it is not tangible to us. It's not stuff we can put our hands on. It's not stuff we can feel and touch and see. And so, so much of Jesus and of his kingdom seems to be fake, myth, idea, philosophy, fairy tale. And what we have to do is find a way to take these things that are more than ideas, to take these, these, these little seeds of truth and plant them inside of our thinking, plant them inside of our hearts to where these things take root. Picture a tree, okay? When you see that small seed planted, okay, it, it seems rather insignificant. What's very important is that the roots are able to go down deep. If you ever see a tree that's very tall, you know, the taller it is, the larger it is, the deeper and more widespread the roots are. Roots always come first. Did you get that? If you're taking notes, it's a good place to start. Roots always come first. And what happens with the Word of God is that these are seeds of truth. And they have to be able to take root and begin to kind of spread out and just begin to spread into our thinking, into our actions, into our emotions, to where these things that we don't see become as real as things that we do. Do you get that? That the things that we don't see become as real or more real than the things that we do see. In this process, it takes having to be, having to be stubborn about it. How do we put this? You face every day things that you see, feel, and touch. We all do, right? You face a reality that hits you in the face every Monday morning. When you go to work, when you open the bills, there is a reality that you see. And yet, what happens is that Jesus is always challenging us to live by a different reality. As if, you know, to see beyond the things that we experience. And it takes us having to take these ideas, these realities, and just beat them into our brains, okay? 
I, I wish I had some really spiritual answer for you to how this works. It's kind of, some kind of special prayer I'll, I'll just say over you, and everything in the Bible just makes sense. It doesn't work that way. It's a constant decision to take this truth and to look at it, and to look at it, and to think on it, and to ponder it, and to, to meditate on it, to pray over it, and to allow this thing to take root, and it takes time. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to throw some seeds in the ground of our thinking and of our hearts and just continue to force ourselves to see it so it takes root. One of the analogies of Scripture is a mirror. In the book of James, we see this picture of how Scripture has the ability to act as a mirror. What's scary about a mirror? Anybody? Anybody? It don't lie. Do it, right? Not talking about the circus mirrors, okay, like the ones you see where you're like seven foot tall. I love those things. Not talking about those. Okay, we're talking about the mirror that doesn't lie. When you look into it, it tells you exactly what you see. And what's scary about a mirror is that we can look into a mirror over and over and over again and still miss what we're actually seeing. I have a long story, which I won't tell you, but basically it happened this way. There's one day where I woke up and realized I wasn't in high school anymore. I didn't look like I was in high school anymore. It hit me. I've been looking at the same mirror each night before I went to bed, but one night it clicked. Oh, that's what I really look like. That's the way things really are. This is what reality really is for me. I can either ignore it. <laughs> no, I didn't see that at all. That was the light. We need to change those light bulbs, okay? Or I can accept it and change my life. Make sense? We've learned to rationalize away what we see in the Word. We've found ways to find everything in Scripture that makes us look, ooh, ooh, I don't like that, ooh, I don't like that. We've found ways to just either ignore them, to make excuses for them. We've found ways to avoid having to change ourselves. Make sense? All right, let's do this. If you guys have your Bibles, go to John 3.16. All right, this entire series is going to be scriptures and, and, and ideas and things you have heard a million times. And what we're going to do is we're going to take them and stare at them so long to where what you see this time is different than what you've ever seen before. And we're going to start with maybe the most heard, talked about, memorized verse in the world, John 3.16. And we're going to look at it a little bit differently. If you guys have your Bibles, go there, John 3.16. If you guys can quote it, go ahead and quote it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Again, we've all heard this verse, we've all had it, you know, kind of drilled into us in different ways. Let's break it down this morning anew. What's the first thing that we see? For God, what? So loved. All right, the first thing that we see is we see God's intention and His affection for us. If you're taking notes, put this down. The first thing that we see, the first, thing that it, the first block to understanding this verse is God's intentions for us. What plans does He have for us and why? He plans good things because He loves me, right? All right. Everyone says, yeah, I know that, I know that. What's the second thing that we see? 
As we read on, the context of this is very simple. That whoever believes in Him shall not, what? Perish. Here is the first theme for this morning. Eternity. Understand that in the Gospels, this is one of the most prevalent things that Jesus speaks about. Eternity. This is one of the hardest things for the human mind and soul to look at. Most of you will go through the rest of your life trying to ignore the fact that death is waiting. Trying to ignore the fact that there is an end to what we know and there's something coming that we do not know. Who loves funerals? No hands. If you, if you do love it, you probably shouldn't raise your hand anyway. Okay. okay. Why do we not like funerals? And again, you know, I'm not speaking about ones where, where it's someone, again, you know, who was super close to you. But just in general, why do we not like funerals? The reason we hate funerals is it reminds us of something we don't want to see. It's that part of the mirror that shows us things in life that we do not want to look at. This world will end. What we know, what we are comfortable with, what we have a grasp on, what we understand is fleeting. It's only here for a moment and it will be gone. And it could end at any second. This is why so many of us have heard these verses. We've talked about heaven, talked about hell. We've heard about salvation. And even in all that, we've only allowed ourselves to really sit there and think about it for brief moments. Just enough to find peace. And if we couldn't find peace, we move on. You need to understand this. One of the things we have lost from the Gospel of Jesus to today is a grasp and just a willingness to wrestle with eternity. There is the now, but there will be a then, an after, something to follow. Now, I'm laying this out because you need to understand this. This understanding of eternity is one of the primary wheels in the cog. It's one of the primary parts of Christianity that makes the whole thing fit together. If you take this piece out, it doesn't quite add up. So the first thing that we see is that He has good plans for us, that He loves us, and because of His love for us, He has a plan for what's next. Let's keep going. The next thing that we see, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Here's the next thing that we see. We first see His love for us. We second see that eternity is real. It's something to be addressed. And because of His love for us, because there's something coming, God steps into the what? Into the present. Do you see that? Because He loves me, because He knows there's something coming, He's going to do something about it in the now. Let this kind of sit in. Two of the things of the Gospel that we're going to talk about this morning that we need to wrestle with is that one, there is something coming that you do not have a handle on. You do not have control over it. It is not comfortable to think about. But secondly, because He knows 
This is something that's coming, and it's something that we do not have peace on. He steps into the now to help us with it. It's one thing to talk about eternity and the unknown and then approach it alone. It's another thing to approach it and saying, yes, this is coming, but He is standing right here with me. He loves me. There's something coming after this world. And because of that, He steps into this world to prepare us for the next. And so two of the biggest themes in the Gospel are eternity, the afterlife, and the present life. And that God is present in both the now and what is coming. Are you staying with me? I want you to understand that there is hope and there's joy, and we're going to get to that, but this part has to sink in for us. This part has to sink in for us. So let's let it sink in some more. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and get ready to go to Philippians 2, verse 12. Before we go there, I want to do a little bit of explaining about why we have to kind of unearth these things. We live in a very interesting time, those of us who are, who are American Christians, okay? If you've been alive in the U.S., been a Christian for the last, I'd say, last 70 to 100 years, you have lived in a very weird historical bubble for Christians. Historically, second to the Jews, we are the most persecuted group of faith people, okay? Whatever, you know, form of faith. Second to the Jews, we have been persecuted murdered, hunted more than any other group second to the Jews. And what's weird for us is that that reality doesn't feel real to us because we live in a time where that's not real for us. We haven't been hunted down. We haven't been killed. We haven't been tortured. It hasn't been like that for us. And, and it brings so many powerful things for the church in America right now. You know, we have the ability, because we're not being persecuted, to accomplish so much more outside of our country. But it also creates a stumbling block for us who are believers. Because we're not attacked in the present, we're not as eager to look to the future. (laughs) Because the life right now isn't too bad, we don't look to the future as much as people who are hurting now do. Does that make sense to you? When the Christians in Rome were being thrown to the lions, okay, they were looking to the future because <laughs> this stinks. <laughs> this isn't that great. You know, if I were to show up to them and say, well, Jesus came to give you a million-dollar house and a Lamborghini, and he loves you. Really? I'm being eaten by a lion. I don't believe you. Be honest. Does that line up for you? No. What they're holding on to is what's to come. So to them, they had to wrestle and wrestle and wrestle to believe that what's coming is more real than what they're about to experience in the now. And for us, it's the opposite. We don't feel the pressure. We don't want to leave the now, most of us, because it's really not that bad. And again, I'm not saying you don't have problems in your life. I'm saying it's not bad enough to get you to want to run out of this into the next. As bad as Fox News might be, as bad as you might be about, you know, the, you know the, all the candidates for the presidency, as bad as it might be at your job, it's not being fed to lions. Deal? Does that make sense? Okay. So historically speaking, 
It's easier for us to sit in the now and to ignore the future. This is, is a problem for us. Because what it does is it allows us to take one of the most important parts of our faith and just kind of take it out of the equation. And then we wonder why things don't line up, why things just don't seem to work. Things don't seem to line up for us. All right, let's go ahead and move forward. Here's the thing. There are four main needs for us to be aware of eternity. Here's the first one. We need to be eternally conscious. Here's why. Because having an eye on eternity nudges us into kingdom-mindedness. Meaning this. It is so much easier for us to fix our eyes and our lives on the invisible kingdom of God when we don't want this world. Does that make sense to you? There were Christians who lived who didn't want this world, okay? There were Christians who lived who, who, who weren't too excited to be here, and it was easier for them to want to be there. The problem for us is we want to be here because we don't know what's over there. You don't know what's over there because you're not willing to wrestle with it because it's pretty comfortable right here. Philippians 2, verse 12. Here we go. Some more comfort verses for everybody, okay? Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. What in the world does that mean? He, he's encouraged, hey, you guys have been doing so good, so good. But just remember, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Have a good day. Jesus loves you. What in the world is that about? If you guys came to the office for counseling, and I said, you know what, you're doing so good, just continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What in the world would you think? What does that mean? There is a soberness, okay, that comes over us when we are aware that what we do now affects what is to come. There is a realness, a seriousness about our lives when we realize every action in this world affects our eternal life after this one. And the more real that life becomes, the more we live this one for Jesus. Does that make sense? Matthew 10, verse 28. If you guys have your Bibles, stay with me. Matthew 10. Verse 28, we're going to run through a bunch of verses. Uh, typically, I hate to do it this way, but this morning, I just want you to see how this theme is all through the Scriptures. And even though we see it, we hear it, we talk about it, we read it, we don't let it penetrate our hearts. And there's a reason for that. Because if we really let it penetrate our hearts, there's a risk that it might scare us. The more you wrestle over how, how finite, how fragile this reality is, it's uncomfortable. The more you realize that you are storing up your life in this world and not in the next, it's uncomfortable. And so we ignore it. Matthew 10, 28. This is an awesome one. I love this one. <laughs> Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. 
Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Woo, this is a love message this morning. <laughs> this is still Grace Church, okay? I just want to remind you, okay? If you haven't been here before, we really don't talk about this a whole lot, but we do have to every once in a while. <laughs> Welcome to Grace Church. Jesus loves you. Okay. Do not be afraid of someone who can kill your body. Be afraid of the one who can kill your soul in hell. And I have to kind of say it a little bit funny because if we get too serious, it's going to get real heavy in here real fast. And to a certain extent, that's okay. The word used here for fear, phobiomai, and I'm not saying that right, but who cares? Phobiomai, okay? It's Greek. Here's what it means. To fear, to be alarmed, to reverence, and to respect. To fear, to be alarmed, to reverence, and to respect. Now, this definition is not meant to be a progression, but what's funny to me is that I feel like it is a progression, meaning what, what takes place with us is when we allow eternity, the realness of that there's something coming to hit us, it strikes fear, it strikes alarm, oh, we've got to do something. It strikes a respect and reverence. Oh no, I need to do something about this. Just like we saw in John 3.16, if we did not have a God who was willing to be in the moment with us as this even hits us. I mean, just think about yourself. The moment you allow this to hit you, I guarantee that there might be some fear there. But to think that you don't have to open up this box alone. And there's something about eternity that makes us feel isolated. There's something about thinking about what's coming next that just makes everything else feel so fleeting and far away. But the beauty of this is, is that He was willing to stand in the moment with us as we open this box. Stand in the moment with us and to affirm the things we need to hear. When you open this up, the first thing you need to hear is, I'm here. The second thing is, I love you. And the third thing is, I have a plan. And so, in all this, we have to allow it to rattle us a little bit. Again, what things have we lost in our religion, in our, in our pursuit of Jesus? What things have become only ideas, only words? Here's what has to happen. These things have to affect our lives. These things have to be things that, that, that affect our, our choices and our decisions. I do this because of this. I live this way. I choose to do these things. I invest my time this way because I know that what's coming is more important than what is here. Here's the second thing that we have to have, okay? I already hit on it. The first thing is we have to be eternally conscious because it allows us to shift our focus onto what is coming, onto the unseen, onto the kingdom of God. The second thing is we have to be sobered by fear. We have to allow this, this reverence, this deep knowledge that there's something bigger than what we see, than what we feel, to, to bring us sober. And to be sober is to have a right grasp on reality. When you are drunk, what do you see? And again, I'm not asking you by experience, right? Okay, when you are drunk, when you're under the influence of something, what's happening? 
Your grasp of reality is slipping. And your control of yourself in it is slipping. To be sober is to be firmly planted in reality. This is the way things are. The floor is not moving. I'm standing straight up. I'm not on a boat. (laughs) Come on, guys. To be sober is to understand what is real. And fear slaps you in the face to remind you what is real. This is not. What is coming is more real than what is present. And this is one of the hardest things for us to get because it terrifies us and it's so much easier to just push it off to the side. Because if this hits your heart, then everything else in your life will have to be reoriented. Everything in your life has to change if this hits you. Because here's the thing. Because you are living for the moment. You are living for this life. You're not living for the next one. I'm not, and again, we are not in general. But if you realize that what's coming is what matters, then you have to live your life for that life. And everything has to change. You, you spent 20 years, 40 years, 60 years living your life, designing everything for the now. But what if I have to change it all? Here's the next thing we have to do. The next reason we need to be conscious of eternity is because it creates a joy as we expect our hope. If you guys have your Bibles, 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I understand you probably got lost in that verse. I'll help you. First thing, there's hope. Second thing, in the same way that eternity has to be so real that it scares us, that what's coming has to be so real that it kind of shakes us a little bit. What's coming in Jesus has to stir you so much that it creates excitement. Does that make sense? If you are being stirred and are only in fear, only in dread, you know, are not excited about what's coming, you haven't allowed the hope to take seed either. If you've only allowed the fear of God and the, and the understanding of eternity to set in on your hearts, but not the hope in Jesus, it will breed more fear, okay? Which is not the goal of God. But if you allow that to shake you, picture just like with ground. This understanding of eternity is almost like a hoe. It has to kind of break up the ground a little bit. It has to shake us enough to where our hearts and our minds are open to change. And then we plant the seeds of the hope of Jesus Christ, and it breeds joy. And here's why it breeds joy. Because we have a living hope, meaning we have a hope that we can put our hands on. The whole point of Jesus coming in the flesh is it's something we can hold on to. He was a real person. He has a history. If I want to go to, you know, to the library to read about him, I can. If I want to go to the Roman annals of history, he's in it. He was physical. He was real. I have evidence. I have proof. I have something to hold on to. I understand this man. He makes sense to me. He's... He's someone and something that can be touched, felt, and seen. And if I allow that seed to take place in me, 
If I know that this guy died, but somehow he overcame death, now I have something to hold on to. Because if the same God I'm following overcame death for that person, he's going to do the same thing for me. Amen? And here's some other things for you. If you're someone who's already grappled with eternity, but you haven't reached joy and hope yet, here's some things for your heart. Verse 4. And He's given us not just life, but an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Understand that next week we'll be talking about kingdom and about treasure. And understand that treasure is a word and a phrase and a picture used all throughout the Gospels. And He's talking about it again here. And again, when you think of treasure, think of something you don't want to let go of. Make sense? Treasure is anything that you don't want to let go of. Treasure can be rubies. Treasure can be a rock. That's not pretty, (laughs) okay? I mean, treasure can be anything. It's anything you don't want to let go of. And what happens is in Jesus, He gives us things that we don't want to let go of that are safe. And He puts them in a safe place to where we won't ever lose what we don't want to let go of. And it's in a place that won't spoil or fade. And so in essence, what He's saying is this. Not only are you going to have life beyond this life, everything that you value most, I'm going to protect it, and you'll never have to lose it. Does that make sense? Yes? Have you ever seen your child who has that stuffed animal that's just nasty and you want to take it away? And you take it away and it breaks their heart. You never have to let go of that stuffed animal. He's going to keep it completely safe. It's secure and protected. And here's the third hope. As you wait here, waiting for what God has, there's something, there's a promise for you. Verse 5. And again, the context is shifting. He was talking about our our treasures. Now he's talking about us. Verse 5 who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation. Meaning, not only is there life waiting for us, not only is He going to take everything that matters most to you and keep it safe in that that safety deposit box on the other side of this world, but thirdly, as you wait, He's going to shield you and protect you. Anyone who's wrestled with the fear of death understands what that feels like. Imagine if you don't have to wrestle with that. What if you are shielded and protected by the power of God as you wait? Meaning every wave of life that comes and hits you and shakes you and scares you and and each doubt that you wrestle with and every time that that reality starts to fade a little bit, you understand that there's a way that He's going to show up and protect you and preserve you so that you make it all the way to the other side. What if? Are you starting to get it now? You have to let that fear kind of break the ground a little bit in your heart. Make you willing, you know, to to shift around things in your life. And then you have to let the joy and the hope of what Jesus is and what He's doing for us to take root. And if you do, it will transform your entire life. And here's what happens. If we allow that that to, uh, to take place, the fourth thing we need about eternity takes place. When we're allowing eternity to become real to us, and we're allowing the hope of Jesus to become real to us, all of a sudden, we gain peace in the waiting. Meaning, when you've allowed the fear to to wrestle you, and you've planted the seeds of hope, now there's peace. When that world becomes more real to you than this one, nothing in this world shakes you. 
When everything that you care most about is locked away in safety with Jesus, there's nothing that can be stolen from you or or taken away from you. And basically everything that you desire is waiting for you on the other side. You have nothing to worry about. You have no fear in the now. There's no worry. There's no fear. There's no dread. That weight is lifted. Can you imagine going through life and not being touched or affected by the ups and downs of circumstances? Because you have peace. Because everything that matters most to you is already safe and waiting for you. Amen. That was good. I like that one. All right. um, Let's move on. Now, the first theme that we have to kind of wrestle with, of course, is eternity. But there's something else that we saw in John 3.16. It's not just the God who saves us on the other side of this world. It's the God who is willing to be present with us in this world as we wait for the next world. Here's here's what happens. Matthew 6.25. You guys have your Bibles? We are flipping through it. 6.25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He goes on and talks about the birds. You guys have all seen all this. And he goes in and he says, uh, verse 32, For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Understand, he's talking about treasure again. When this world is so real to you, you live for the needs of this world. In this world, we need a house. We need money. We need clothes. We need things in this world. When this world is what's so real to you, you live your life pursuing these things. When that world becomes more real to you, you understand you don't have to pursue anything in this world. You're pursuing that world, and God is going to do something for you to take care of the needs in this world. Does that make sense? That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. It means all of your striving, all of your energy, all of your investment as a human, your, your ideas, your thoughts, your energy, it's being poured into a different world. Understanding if I pursue that world, he's going to meet the needs in this one. I don't have to worry about this. I need to focus on that because that is more real than what this is. This is temporary. That is eternal. And so what takes place in this When we become so aware of eternity and when we allow God to take everything that matters most to us and to lock it away in safety with Him, all the pressure's off, all the worries off. Now I'm freed up to be fully present in the moment. Think about uh, with your spouse, with your kids. When are you not present? When you're worrying over something? when you're thinking about something else, when you, again, honestly, it's probably when you're trying to meet the needs of this world. When we are not present here, it's because we are trying to strive to take care of other things in this world. And it it takes us away from being fully present. And it's God's desire that He would meet all those needs, that we would be fully present here, in the moment, at all times. And the reason for this is simple. We're going to get a little bit deep, so stay with me, okay? It's going to be a little bit deep here, okay? What we're doing, when we choose to seek first the kingdom, and we allow God to take care of this world, and we are fully present, we are becoming available to be used by God to bring that world to this world. 
Does that make sense? When I am fully present in the moment and I'm, I'm, I'm connected with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, and I'm, I'm focused on the needs of the person across the table from me, I am now freed up to be used by God to bring that world to this world. But if I'm entangled in this world, if my mind is over here, if my emotions are heavy from this problem, I am distracted and I am unable to be used by God in the moment. Does that make sense to you? That's a lot of theology right there. We won't even get into it. I'll I'll, I'll just put it out there for you. Okay. And so what happens is... When you, are, when you allow God you know, to make you conscious of the world to come and to take care of your needs and fears of it, then you're able to be freed up to be used in the moment. And what takes place is now you gain purpose in this life. So much of us, we spend our lives striving to find our purpose, to make room for us, to find identity, to make ourselves important in this world. And what, what takes place, what's really kind of frustrating about it is if we would allow ourselves to, be, to carve out our time to find out who we are in that world, the striving in this world would stop. If we found out who we are in Jesus, if we found out wh- why we're here, what He's made us, how He's made us unique, when we come back to reality, and again, just you know, stay with me, all of that pressure is off. The striving to make, you know, to make a name for ourselves, you know, to, to be successful, to be respected, whatever it is, you know, all that is just dropped off of us. And we're able to pick up the purpose for which we were born. And, it, and when you do that, it's free of... You don't have to make it happen. It's almost just like a... And again, it's not just like it is this. It, it, it is a coronation. And again, it's an example that we see Jesus and the Apostle Paul use. It is a coronation of who you are. For someone to step into royalty is not something that they have to work their way up to the top. They are it. Does that make sense? Okay. To make it to CEO in your company, you're going to have to work your tail off, right? It's going to take time to strive. You have to earn it. You have to kind of make your way. You have to kind of, you know, find a way to get above the next guy. Okay. To be royalty is what? To be royal. <laughs> You don't have to work your way into it. You are or you're not. Who cannot stand... Uh, be careful. Who has watched the weddings okay, on like TLC of like the royals in England, right? I'll be careful. Nisa, not you. Okay. Men, who's watched that and been like, what is so special about those people? Their lives are to, to wake up and to enjoy life. Awesome. There's no way I'm going to watch and pat him on the back for being born. You know, it's like, you're not doing anything, you know. You're not really involved in politics. You're just kind of a figurehead. You're just kind of there. Your whole point in life is to just enjoy it. Sounds like something I've seen in Scripture somewhere, right? The whole point of your life, when you step into reality of who you are, your purpose is directly connected to your makeup, meaning you love to do what you're created to do. But most of us never find that. And we spend our lives trying to search and make things happen. And we are not happy. But when we allow God to put us to cement in our hearts who we are, we spend the rest of our time on this world doing what we are created to do. Doing what we love to do. Doing what we have passion for. It's not saying life's always going to be peachy. But it's saying that we have passion to do it. There's purpose to do it. How many of you guys can kind of testify to this? I mean, you know, when you're doing something you love you can handle a little bit of junk on the side. When you're doing something you hate to do, that junk is going to just be the end of you. It's it's hard enough just to be here. I'm not going to put up with anything else. 
when we allow eternity to set into our hearts, in that place with Him, when hope sets in, we find out what He has in store for us. Not only is there life being saved for us after this life, but there's also our identity in Him is found there. And so it's this moment where I don't have to die to find out who I am. I have to be present with the Lord. And to be present with the Lord is to untangle myself from this world. And again, I, you know, it sounds super, you know, spiritual, physical, whatever. It's not even that complicated. Finding a way to make room in your time, in your mind, and in your emotions. Do you have any time in, in your day where you just kind of get alone and just shake everything off? If you would just do that for five minutes a day, it's amazing how much easier it is to connect with the Lord in those five minutes than all the rest of your effort. It's not that complicated. And so when we allow these things to take place, we're present in the moment so we can be used by God for His kingdom, and we also find our purpose in this life. And here's the last thing. If you guys have your, uh, if you guys have your Bibles, and again, if you guys want notes to this, there's a couple of verses I've skipped over. Um, we can't make it available. Ephesians 1 Verse 18. We're going to close on this. Ephesians 1, verse 18. And he says, uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Stop right there. That's what we're talking about this morning. He didn't say, I pray that you would, you know, think, you know, just have this idea hit your ears. He said, I pray that this thing that you've heard about would become real to you. Okay? I pray that your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. Hope is something we wait for. It's something that's coming. Meaning, when someone else looks at death, they are afraid of it. When you look at death, you're like, man, look what's coming. Everyone's like, not there yet. That's okay. You will get there. Okay. The riches of His glorious inheritance in his holy people. What's interesting about this line is he's not only talking about the treasure for us, he shifts it and he says, oh yeah, and by the way, my treasure is my holy people. It's you. I love to get to do this for you. I, I'm going to do all these things for you in the present and the life to come because you are my treasure, my holy people. That's a whole sermon right there. Verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. In the same way that we grapple to find hope and joy and expectancy in the fact that he was able to take Jesus and overcome death through Jesus, we have a promise that the same power that did that in Jesus is available to us in the life to come, but also where? Because that same power for Jesus, not only in the present age, but what? But also in the one to come. So yes, there's power there. When you face death, don't be afraid. The same power that overcame death for Jesus will be there for you, but it's also somewhere else. It's in the present. So all the power and all the authority to overcome every single work of the enemy in this life, which again, you know, we'll have to do a whole other series on, on what he means when he talks about authority, power, and dominion. But 
all of the power to overcome anything that could hinder you in this life is available through Jesus now. Let's go ahead and end there. I think I have someone come up. We're just going to stand up and kind of end this way. And... Father, 